Welcome to episode eight of All the Best Craft Banter. On today's episode, we're talking about the tap room. Uh, ways to make it less intimidating for you when you're, it's your first time going to a tap room. Uh, some of the things you're going to see and hear, questions you can ask, ways to get yourself into craft beer. We've got a little bit of history, a little bit of knowledge, um, and some insider and in-depth information that is possibly even more than you wanted to know. So today we're talking to Mike Fognac, head brewer and co-founder at the Establishment Brewing Company, Lisa Watts, co-founder and CEO of Hubtown Brewing, brewmaster and Jill of everything that needs doing around here, and Brian Hampton, head brewer and production operations manager at the OT Brewing Company. And as we are in Black History Month, we have some tips on how you as a brewery, as individuals, can get more out of the education and out of the purpose of this month. So I think we'll start our conversation today with kind of the general idea of what Alberta's tap rooms are. So how would each of you describe the general vibe or atmosphere of your tap room and brewery? Um, I'm going to go in the order that's on my screen. So Mike, we're going to start with you. All right. Um, at the establishment, uh, I would describe the vibe and atmosphere to be uh, kind of like an integrated experience with the, the brewery uh, surrounded by barrels, uh, kind of like a chill lighting vibe. Uh, there's no TVs. We're really focused on the beer experience. So it kind of feels like you're right in the brewery surrounded by the barrels. And um, yeah, we don't discriminate against any beer styles or music. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Perfect. And Ryan. Yeah, I mean, Mike said it really well. I think most tap rooms are a place that you get to try the beer at its absolute freshest. Um, you know, you don't get much closer than where it's physically made and uh so yeah at uh at the ot brewing um we've got a bit more of like a sports and activity and like lifestyle um adventure brand um so you know we really integrate see the integration of craft beer and all these other activities that bring people together so you know we've got a real sports motif lots of tvs to throw the games on if that's your viewing pleasure but uh more importantly it is about getting to try the beer at its absolute freshest and you know, very unpretentious, very welcoming, very safe space. For sure. And Lisa? Oh, the way we describe coming to Hubtown. I mean, we really do believe we're like cheers. It's one of those places where you feel like you're going to walk in, you're going to sit down at a table and you're going to kick off your shoes. We don't recommend you to kick off your shoes, but but it is kind of the feeling, you know, you walk in and everybody wants to talk to everybody and you'll notice that they will be one table will talk to another table. They don't have a clue who each other are, but they're going, this is the greatest feeling. So it's kind of, uh, we always say it's kind of like coming home or it's like going to cheers. That's great. I, I would say that's definitely been my experience in tap rooms. It's super easy just to talk to the person next to you or the people who are working there. Everyone loves sharing their, their experiences in tap rooms and with beer. So they're always a collaborative and welcoming place. And I guess that kind of leads to my next question for all of you. What do you think is the draw of craft beer? Anyone who wants to start, I might just throw it out there instead of being too uniform about this. I say with, um, there's almost like a, 
a real culture around um, like beer tourism and exploration. Like, you know, breweries are always coming up with new, new concepts and new uh, recipes. So it's, it's really impossible to, you know, try everything. So I think, you know, people want to, they want to try something new and not just drink the same fizzy yellow water that they used to steal out of their dad's fridge when they were kids. <laughs> exactly. It's adventurous. I think people are out are, are for an uh, adventure. They're out for an experience. They're looking for something completely different. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many different styles of beer out there. Uh, it's probably one of the most diverse uh, alcoholic beverages that humans make. So yeah, there's a lot of exploration to be had. Definitely. And that kind of leads into the next questions, I guess. And we'll start on the brewing side. So for someone who is just coming into a craft brewery and either has limited experience with craft beer or none at all, where would you start them style-wise? We have these terrible things called flight boards and uh, you can get, you know, micro pours of as many different types as you want. Um, but yeah, I would say to the consumer, like, just, you know, don't be afraid to ask the staff, um, you know, if you're, is a style that you know um, that you're comfortable with, chances are most breweries make, you know, most breweries want to approach um, all markets into their brand. And so, you know, we'll have like a gateway light, easy drinking blonde or a Pilsner or a lager um, all the way up to, you know, more adventurous West Coast and East Coast IPAs and sours. But I've always seen that customers are kind of surprised with like, you know, how fruity and how aromatic the IPAs could be. And like, oh, well, I never drink IPAs because they're too bitter. Well, is that really true or have you just not given them a, a try or have you just had bad ones one of the favorite questions that we ask when people come in is what do you normally drink doesn't matter if you're a wine drinker or you're a spirits drinker or you're a beer drinker we can find something that's going to hit that palate we're going to go we're going to say you know what come in and tell us that you know nothing it's really okay and we're going to put you, we're going to point you in the right direction. And those crazy little flight boards, let me tell you, that was the beginning of my beer adventure. Had I not had those four little micro beers in front of me, I wouldn't have gone the path because I really did believe that beer was that yellow fizzy stuff in my dad's fridge. I didn't know that a lager was just one of the 80 plus styles, right? So you put that thing in front of someone and, you, and let them taste that beers can taste like coffee and they can taste like banana and they can taste like raspberries and they can taste like the fizzy yellow water that we all, some, some really like. Um, it, it's kind of like a mind blowing experience. Just don't order flight boards when it's super busy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Please go straight to the half pints. <laughs> Mike, anything to add? Yeah, I think, I think the, the best is, is to, is to talk to your, uh, talk to the person behind the bar or who's uh, kind of serving or helping you out uh, from the tap room and, and just have a conversation with them about, uh, you know, how adventurous are, is your, is your palate? You know, are you explorative? Do you like, you know, coffee flavors? Do you like dark beers? Are you okay with um, just basically open up the conversation? Cause there's like, like Ryan said, there's so many different beer styles. It's about exploration and, and, uh, oftentimes, uh, craft breweries, that's kind of what draws people to craft beer is just so many different flavors. So there's, there's bound to be something uh, that you'll like. Mm -hmm. For sure. And so, um, maybe I'll start with you on this one, Lisa, do 
staff get annoyed with a bunch of questions though? Like, is that something that if someone comes to a tap room, they should be nervous about asking those questions? Oh gosh, no. So of course they've all had to train with me. So um, understanding that my beer experience began in my thirties. So we're not talking about someone that knew anything at 18 years old. Um, we're teaching our staff that one of the most important things is, is to let people ask every question possible. That's, that's how they discover what they like. You know, sometimes when somebody walks in, somebody, some people don't even know what an IPA is. They don't know when you say, they'll look at you and they'll go, well, I don't really like things that are hoppy. And we go, let's define what hoppy is and help you down the path because it means something different than you probably expect. <clears throat> so yeah, the questions are a big part of the experience when you go into a, into a brewery. And I begged for every bit of information I could get when I would go into them when I first started our journey. So yeah, it's uh, the questions are important. And in fact, we go ahead and, and get our crew Cicerone server trained just because we want them to understand how to answer each of those questions. And just to follow up on that, can you explain a little bit about what Cicerone trained means? So it's kind of like the beginning steps of um, like a sommelier on the wine side, Cicerone is on the beer side. So we want our staff to really understand how to help people dig in and, and figure out what it is that they want to put in their mouth, right? what they want to taste. So if they walk in and they say, you know, I normally drink dot, 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 we're going to go, well, guess what? We're going to lead you in this direction first because we want you to feel comfortable and familiar with what you're trying. And then we're going to slowly help you down the path of exploring the next, the next flavors. And you kind of touched on it there about the hoppy versus not hoppy. I, that's one of my questions I have written down. But what does that actually mean when people start talking about that, when a brewer explains hoppy versus not hoppy, or someone says that, what, what does that actually mean? And that's thrown over to Ryan and Mike. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I think that the trend in, uh, in brewing, and this is just my personal opinion, but I think the trend in brewing uh, has gone from, you know, who can make the most bitter IPA to who can make the most flavorful IPA without the bitterness because the bitterness doesn't necessarily need to be there uh, in order to get hoppiness. Hops have inherent bitterness in them, but they also have a lot of aroma and flavor potential. And depending on how the brewer uses those hops in the brewing process, they can control that. So the trend these days in hoppy beer is to try to get as much flavor and aroma with, with just the right amount of balancing bitterness. And uh, so the focus has really shifted over the past uh, couple of years and, and what you kind of expected to, to taste in an IPA, the gripping bitterness is, is rarely there anymore. So I think that the consumer gets a little confused with hoppiness equals bitterness, but that's absolutely not the truth. Hoppiness is now more like citrus and tropical aromas and flavors uh, rather than just gripping bitterness. Not to say that bitterness is an off flavor because it's a very critical, important, <laughs> important aspect of balancing beer. You have to have something to counterbalance that malt sweetness or, or whatever you have. So it's, it's critical, but it's not the main focus anymore. I, I'm, I'm glad you clarified. I was about to go on a rant that was, you know, pro, protein bitter, um, you know, a little more old school. But uh, yeah, uh, I think Mike captured it really well. Like the thing to, rem hop, the thing to remember hops is 
you know, they're a really similar plant to, to cannabis. Um, and so they're loaded with um, essential oils and different acidic compounds. And so, you know, those oils are inherently like aromatics. Um, and so we're really trying to capture those aromatics and, you know, contain them in a, in a beautiful pint glass. Um, and then, yeah, to Mike's, to Mike's last point, you know, bitterness is key. Um, we're taking barley and other grains and turning them into super sugary, um, malt tea and without bitterness, you know, it would just be a very one dimensional beverage. Um, so it's all about creating balance. Um, capturing beautiful aromatics and beautiful, you know, fruit flavors and herbal flavors, um, while balancing, you know, the unique characters of our, of our grain and our, our barley. This is for my own interest, but have either of you or any of you done anything with, um, hops from Alberta? Obviously they're just getting into the pelletization of hops here. So mostly it's fresh hops, but have you guys done anything? Um, just to kind of demonstrate that Alberta does have pretty much all of the ingredients grown right here that we can use. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> We're not, just not, on the, not yet on my end. Okay. We're just on the cusp. We're hoping to work with a, a group that's literally right outside our back door. And um, so hopefully this fall or end of season, we'll, we'll do a wet hop uh, collaboration with those guys. All the great ingredients here. So it's exciting to see what's coming out of Alberta. Um, and you guys kind of touched on this and all the different parts of brewing. Um, malt, obviously, is a very significant part of that. And just can you talk a little bit about this? And I understand asking brewers any of these questions could go off on hours long tangents. But how does malt contribute to the flavor and provide that balance? <clears throat> Well, it's your, it's your backbone and it's, it's your base. You know, we're, we're really fortunate to be in Alberta. Um, and it's kind of crazy to, you know, for how long it took our, our craft brewing scene to, to evolve to the, you know, incredibly diverse scene that it is because we've been, we've been exporting, um, the world's best malt grade barley, um, across the globe for, for absolute decades. Um, so like Alberta, really in a lot of ways should be kind of like a Napa Valley of beer because we're, you know, we're hours from, from the, the farms. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's the base, it's the body, it's the, it's, you know, the overall texture and, you know, where it gets uh, interesting is seeing how some of, you know, the specialty malters uh, roast and kiln it to, you know, give you more complex sugars that we can, you know, again, capture in that finished pint, um, you know, to create, you know, different colors and different flavors and different aromatics. But at the end of the day, like, you know, without malt, you just have boozy sugar water. And that's, uh, yeah, that's, it's not the market we're in. Yeah, totally. And, and to, to give it a little bit more perspective, like basically the, the color of beer is all about the, the barley, uh, primarily if, if you're not talking about like fruit additions or anything like that. So from, you know, from a, a light golden pilsner to uh to a stout that's just kind of the two extremes so the lightest the darkest and all those all the colors in between there of varying darkness that all comes from uh various amounts of specialty grains whether they're roasted or they're caramelized and it's all really in the barley so yeah it's a, it's a vital ingredient 
Um, so to jump back to the taproom side of things, um, when someone comes in, they hear different terminologies, um, like pint, sleeve, all that. Um, maybe Lisa, can you explain a little bit about what the difference is and how someone would typically order when they come into the tap room? Well, if you're coming in and you want to try something new, you're going after a little bit of adventure, then we're going to recommend you do the beer flight. And it's actually one of our, I mean, as much as our servers, it's a lot of work. It's uh, it's one of our favorite things to provide people because we want you to try as many of the beers as possible so that you can pick what what's going to work for you. Um, really what that flight of beers is, is four or five little mini beers. So, you know, four to five ounces each. Essentially, if it's a, it's a pint split up into four to five. Um, once you go through those four or five, then you might say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and go with my favorite and order a sleeve or a pint sleeve being a half pint, um, a pint being, you know, between 16 and 20 ounces, depending on where you are. And then you get that, that glass or that pint of beer, or that sleeve of beer, and you enjoy that one. And then at the end of the night, you're going, well, you know what? I want to take some of that beer home with me. So I'm going to order a crowler or a growler. And a crowler is essentially two 16-ounce pints in it. Uh, great for sharing, we always tell people. Um, grab one of those giant cans of beer and you bring it home with you. Or get four pints in a growler, which is the glass jar. Or in some cases, a stainless steel uh, double wall insulated, you know, all the, all the fancy stuff, um, container to take home. So you've got a, you've got a, an adventure right from the beginning. You start with a, a teeny tiny one, move up to a half pint, go to a full pint and then bring it home in a crowler or a growler. Perfect. So something for everyone and definite ways to figure out what you like before you go for a, a larger, larger portion. And yeah, that way you don't miss out, but you also get to discover what you like. Awesome. Um, and that kind of leads me to my next question, and this might be more for the brewers. Why are there different glass styles for different styles of beer? Oh, this is a mic question. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, honestly, it, it really comes down to his, historical significance if you think about it, but it also helps really express the aromatics of the beer properly and, and the way it's, it's drank. So there's different, different styles of beer uh, just drink better out of different shapes of glassware. And uh, and the shapes are kind of coming from the historical uh, kind of historical significance. So uh, Belgian Belgian beers are extremely aromatic. So this is an example. Um, and typically they're served in a tulip shaped glass. Uh, so it's kind of like a bulbous glass, and it helps trap a lot of the aromatics uh, in the headspace. So it allows for some swirling. Some of the CO two can come come out of solution and push some of those volatile aromatics out into the headspace. Similar, if you think about uh, when you're drinking wine, you know, wine is always poured in a red wine glass versus a white wine glass, the different shapes, um, very similar effect there uh, with, with wine drinking and beer drinking. I think it's important to have uh, the right amount of headspace and the right shape of glass to express those aromatics. Because honestly, flavor is mainly just aroma. So if you plug your nose and you drink a beer, you're only going to taste uh, sweet, salty, bitter. Uh, umami, um, like the cardinal flavors. But if you open up your nose, you're st you're going to start getting citrus. You're going to start getting floral. You're going to get bready, malty, um, all of the the real things that we think about as flavor. But that's all coming from the aroma. So it's really important to have the right shaped glass so you can get the right aroma into your nose. Long story short, 
someone needs to stop me or else I'll just keep talking. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I, I've, I've never actually heard anyone explain it. I just knew it was a thing. So I appreciate that. Um, and you kind of talked about their um, headspace. Hear people talk about the head on a beer all the time. Why? Well, the foam is um, like, it's important with the presentation. Like, um, Mike talked to about a lot of the history of beer and, um, you know, we take a lot of our traditions from, you know, our European predecessors, you know, in the Czech Republic and in Germany. And, um, you know, seeing a, a beer served without foam was usually an indication that the, the, the glass was dirty or of poor quality, um, or the beer was, uh, you know, of poor quality. Um, so, and it's, it, it's kind of a protective layer that kind of keeps the, the CO2 in, in solution, you know, that carbonation that, you know, um, we all enjoy and that actually lifts a lot of the flavors across your palate when you're, when you're sipping on it. And it's also, you know, again, it's about that aromatics and those, those bouquets, like you want to, you want to see the foam to go, Oh, that's a good looking beer. And, you know, the first thing you're going to do is get it close to your face and you're going to, you're going to smell it. So, um, yeah, I hope that answers that. <laughs> yeah. I, I'd like to add a little something there. That was, that was excellent, Ryan. Uh, I think it, I think in North American culture, the pub pint used to be, you know, if, if you don't get a full beer all the way to the top of the glass without any head, then your people may have thought that you're kind of getting uh, cheaped out and you're not getting enough beer, but, um, also known as the ship and anchor pour. There we go. <laughs> all the way to the brim. But uh, I think that's, you know, I don't know if that's the right way to pour a beer. Technically, I think you really want to develop some head. You want to knock out some of that carbonation uh, and help those aromatics uh, come out of the beer. So, uh, and then like Brian said, yeah, absolutely. Uh, a long lasting foam dome, so to speak, a foamy homey, if you will, uh, <laughs> is, is a good sign of, of good brewing practices. So when you, when you see a long lasting head sitting on a beer, that's a, that's a good indication that the brewer did a good job. I'm learning new terminology. I love it. <laughs> foamy um, homey. Yeah. That's a good take. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's a t-shirt coming up now. Like it's just going to be everywhere. Um, quick Mike, get on it. There you go. <laughs> Oh, I, I'd like to add something regarding, um, I, I know there is a little bit of talk of, of flights mm -hmm. and uh, oftentimes with uh, when you're first trying a new beer style, uh, usually in, you know, the IPA, so heavily hopped beers or specifically with sours, uh, like sour beer. So sometimes it comes with fruit and sometimes not, but uh, those two flavors, bitterness and sourness. Um, take a little while to develop on your palate. So, and your palate needs to kind of get adjusted to it. So, especially with sour beers, if you take a, take a sip of it um, and you don't, you know, it's maybe a little bit too sour or a little aggressive on the palate. Don't immediately put that glass down, um, you know, come back to it in about 30 seconds and try it again. And maybe it's kind of like the three sip rule. Uh, your, your palate's going to get adjusted to that acidity or that bitterness or whatever it may be. And, uh, that first sip might be a little aggressive, but, uh, just, just give it a couple sips. So almost like, you know, try it three times. And if you don't like it, that's fine. Move on. There's uh, everyone's palates different and, and everybody tastes things differently. So it's not a big deal, 
but at least give it at least three sips. So it's sometimes hard to do with, with the really small flights. And the other thing I also wanted to mention is the order of which of when you get your beers is also important. So if you try um, a sour beer first, and then you go to a, a more bitter beer second, the bitterness of the bitter beer is going to be accentuated because your palate is used to that acidity. So just keeping in mind that your palate's going to adjust to what you just had before. So it's just keep that in mind when you're tasting beers. So um, it is important to try them in the correct order. And uh, like Lisa said, uh, a well-trained uh, server will, will know that and, and they'll put the flight together for you in a proper order. But so if you're or mixing up all your flight samplers and everything, it might kind of screw with your palate. So just keep that in mind. Uh, you can totally experiment and, and see how that works. So if you try a sour beer first, then try a bitter beer next or vice versa and see how that that affects each other. It's, it's kind of fun exploration. Yeah. And you're also, um, with the, the flight pours and the small pours, you're, you're missing out on, um, how a beer develop develops with temperature. So oftentimes we're pouring beer super, super cold, um, because that kind of reduces uh, foam breakout and reduces spillage and reduces loss. But, you know, with like a, a good Porter or an Imperial stout, um, that cold temperature, you're actually missing a lot of the you know, the malt sweetness and the, you know, um, the body that, you know, brewers worked really hard to get in that beer. Um, so, you know, with, with flights, yeah, it's a good introductory, uh, way to try a lot of things. Um, but it's really important to like, you know, give a beer a chance to be enjoyed at its proper temperature. And so certain things, you know, warming up is, is actually good for the beer. I know a lot of North Americans would scoff at the idea, but you know, <laughs> it's not all about cold, crisp, fizzy yellow water. Although us brewers really like those too. Lisa, did you have something to add? Oh yeah. You know, whenever we do a tour or we do a, we teach a brew class or whatever we do here, we always tell people that the darker the beer, the more you should hold it in your hand. So get that beer glass in your hand and give it some time to warm up. Just like the guys are saying, it's uh, those reds and those, those darker beers, they taste wildly different once they get that, that beautiful um, temperature. It's hundred percent. Okay. And so you guys kind of touched on this, but anytime you look at a, a craft beer menu, especially in the tap room, it has a bunch of numbers and abbreviations. What do they mean? Why should I care? We're talking like ABV and IBU and yeah. Oh yeah. Well, ABV is easy. The higher the number, the the faster you'll be shit faced. <laughs> um, and then the I, IBU is kind of a um, it. It's a tricky data. Like a lot of brewers will kind of calculate. Um, hops for the recipe based on their IBU contribution. But as, as Mike talked about earlier, like trends in beer have moved um, away from, you know, perceived bitterness uh, and more into, you know, oils and aromatics and, and flavors. So IBU theoretically used to tell you like, okay, you know, how bitter the beer is going to be or how hoppy it's going to be. Um, but now it, I find it's really kind of outlived its usefulness as a, as an overall indication of what you're, what you're getting yourself into. But, you know, once upon a time, it was kind of a, kind of a useful guide, but, you know, you can make, um, barley wines and imperial stouts and we'll use, um, 
you know, an absolute metric ton of hops in them. Um, so mathematically in a recipe, they'll have a very, very high IBU contribution, but what you'll taste is actually going to be, you know, more sweet and more rich and more viscous. Um, so it's really kind of a, a misnomer. Um, again, it's, you know, hops in those styles are used to balance out just how rich and how sweet they are. So, yeah, I'm not a fan of IBUs being on menus. I think they're dumb. Yeah, we, we completely ex- exclude them from our uh, from any any communication really, and and not to try not to be, you know, it's not because we don't want to be transparent. We honestly just want people to try all the styles because, like Ryan mentioned, IBU, which stands for International Bittering Unit, is just an approximation of, uh, you know, how many isomerized alpha acids are in the beer. That does not tell the full story. There's there's different methods at play for achieving bitterness and perceived bitterness. And it's oftentimes a very confusing number. So uh, a high IBU number could turn off a new drinker, a new beer person, uh, just on the basis that they think that beer is going to be bitter. And, you know, they've had an old school IPA once in their life and they're like, I don't like bitter beer. But the truth is that maybe that beer is actually properly balanced with the malt character and the sweetness, like Ryan mentioned. And it could be, the perceived bitterness could be much lower than the than the indicated IBU number. So yeah, it, it is a little bit of a, uh, a strange one, that one, but to be honest, um, we're very open with sharing those numbers to people if they ask, but we, we typically don't, don't, um, advertise them in our tap room because of that one reason. Yeah. No, that makes sense. No point in confusing people if, uh, it's not really a great measure of what's going on anymore. Um, and you guys all have kind of mentioned the sweetness and flavors of beer. So if I see a beer that let's say has pineapple in the title or in the name, does that necessarily mean it's going to taste like pineapple? Oh, I hope so. Okay. I hope so too. Yeah. <laughs> but t- typically that means, um, you know, that we're doing either, you know, fruit blending in the product or, um, and mo- most typically to make, you know, really shelf stable beers. Um, we're, we're co-fermenting the fruit, um, with the beer. Um, but Mike does some really amazing work with, uh, mixed culture and sours and wild beers where a lot of their products go through like a secondary fermentation on the fruit. Um, and so they develop some really unique fruit characters, uh, that way. But yeah, if you see pineapple on a label, there better be pineapple in the beer. (laughs) Did everyone just freeze up or was that just me? I, I froze up a little bit too. Yeah, I, missed, I, I missed that last that last part right after Ryan said, "Better be pineapple in the beer." Yeah, uh, that, that's yeah. where I, that's where I, that's where I finished. Okay, okay good. Okay, that's good. Yeah. I okay, was like, good. "Amen." Yeah, it was an artificial freeze. No, it was just a mic drop moment. I love it. I think we get it. I think we also have to think about the contribution to um, the beer. When I mean, one of our beers is called "I Dream in Tangerine," and we don't put a a, a drop of tangerine in there. However, we do use hops that express tangerine in a huge way. So you're going to get the flavor, but it's coming from a hop uh, from a hop that we're using or a collection of different hops that create that that sensation. So I guess you can you can get it from both uh, both opportunities. Yeah, that's a really good point, Lisa. 
fine. <laughs> break, down, <laughs> break down my point, Lisa. I'm gonna buy but, you, you know, a bag. I'm gonna buy you a bag of tangerines. <laughs> and and that's and I want them in a cast. You know, honestly, that's a that's a really good point Lisa brings up because like like you can get aromas of pineapple and papaya, guava, and passion fruit from hops. And it's it's amazing. So it it's a it's a it's a deep world of exploration, that one. That's for sure. <laughs> and probably all on us to make sure that we set the expectation properly when we're when we're telling people what, what we have available, right? So they're not expecting a full blast of tangerine. They're expect in our case, they're expecting a an essence of tangerine and a, an expression of tangerine, but not a, a juice bomb. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it's totally fair. Now it's interesting to see if you if you pay attention to what craft brewers are doing. I mean, you have everything from mountains of peaches going into beer to entire wedding cakes and it's interesting (laughs) to see people experiment if you follow on social media and see what people are trying out it's a very interesting thing that goes on in craft beer um yeah uh so i would kind of like to move to the people that come into tap rooms i guess so what is something that surprises you guys most about craft beer enthusiasts whether it is the people that come into the tap room or even amongst yourselves like a lot of alberta's craft brewers come from very diverse backgrounds um, and how they got into craft beer or where they started in craft beer varies greatly so kind of what surprises you about this community i think um honestly just the level of knowledge that uh that the consumer base has these days is uh sometimes very impressive uh, and, and surprising and um yeah that's just kind of off the top of my head uh we i think we've come a long way from you know not having a lot of craft beer here in alberta to having a lot and uh everybody's learning really quickly from the brewers and also from the consumer perspective so it's really it's really good to see I'm liking seeing where they started. So you're, you see where people come in and, and they start at that, at that, you know, I've only ever had Coors Banquet or I've only ever had Kokanee or I've only ever had Bud. And they're coming in and they're going, oh, I had no idea that craft beer is really just beer. Anybody can make it in any place. We can, we can simulate whatever kind of beer you've ever had using water profiles and, and, ingredients and all of the good things and then they're going oh i didn't realize i could have what i've always loved but i could have it from you that that's been one of our biggest um experiences with with the demographic that you know of craft beer drinkers is where they started and where they ended up not realizing that we're not weird beer we're beer and we're all the beer that sounds similar to a story i heard from another brewery in one of our very small towns about their when they initially opened, people came in looking for those just traditional ale that they're used to picking up after work on a Friday kind of a thing. But over the couple of years that they've been open, they've seen their consumer transition to trying out their sours and trying out their imperial IPAs and things like that. So it's an interesting conversion when people do discover a craft brewery. Um, Ryan, did you have anything to add? Um yeah, just one observation that um, it seems like the craft beer market is incredibly intergenerational. Like it's not just, um, you know, a, a hipster demographic of millennials or or Gen X that, you know, have really 
grown up um, with craft beer in North America. Um, you know, it's it, you can see um, total widely different generations coming into the tap rooms, and you know, I've always really enjoyed kind of talking to some of the older guys and going, it's like, well, you know, I had choice of three beers and I would, I would never drink that one when I was a kid. Cause that came from Saskatchewan and we don't touch that one. Um, and so this was my beer and now, and now, you know, they've got a, a flight board in front of them and they're like, I like this. I like this. I don't like this. I like this. You know, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, and I just think that's like craft beer should be, should be as inclusive as an industry is as possible. And I think that's somewhere, you know, we, a lot of these breweries are doing a really good job um, making a point of being really welcoming and open safe spaces. But I think, you know, this is still something that our industry can continue to get better at. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely still a reputation out there, but uh, we're working on it because, and any tap room I've been into has been more than welcoming. And I, I hope that other people and newcomers to craft brewing, uh, see that. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Anything else you guys would like potential newcomers to take away from this conversation? Clean your growler. <laughs> don't, don't, don't bring us a dirty growler to fill. We will, we will shame, we will shame you at the bar for that. <laughs> we worked hard on the, we worked hard on the beer. If your growler smells like feet and cheese, you can, yeah. You you can have cans instead. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is fair. Yeah, I think I think the we talked about uh, you know we talked about diversity in in the beer drinker. We talked about diversity in the beer, um, and uh, I think I think that's those are all really good comments. Um, one thing to to note is you know craft beer isn't only just wacky crazy flavors and over the top fruit bombs and super hoppy beers. Uh, there's you know, the brewers love classic styles as well. And, and there's some really great classic styles being brewed out there that are kind of seldom, seldom seen sometimes or kind of pushed off to the side. But uh, like just the crisp German Pilsner, ooh, like a real a beer that tastes just like a beer that's well made with fresh ingredients from Alberta. And, you know, and it's it, it comes out of the tap directly from the brewery that made it is is a very unique experience and it's um sometimes getting lost in all of the the hype beers there's there's still a lot of really great crafted balanced delicate beers out there to enjoy um sometimes when your palate gets tired of all the hops and all the fruit (laughs) absolutely absolutely well said well, and I think uh, we're fortunate that we have a few awards within Canada. We have our own Alberta Beer Awards and then international competitions as well. Several of our breweries have won awards, uh, both nationally and internationally. And I think uh, if a consumer is wondering where to start, I, I would probably personally refer them there. But yeah, like you say, if you go in any tap room, you're going to find at least one traditional style, uh, depending on the size of the brewery. So uh, don't be afraid if you if you are more traditional. And Lisa, Absolutely. anything else? I think I think something to keep note of is you know one of the trends that we're seeing is people are looking for. I mean, they're choosing where they want to eat based on what kind of beverage they get to pair their food with. 
And a lot of the restaurants are picking up on this and understanding the importance of having that that high that good quality beer to balance out their their delicious meal, right? So that's a that's a trend that I think is going in the right direction. Um, beer is finally being seen as a, an accompaniment to an to incredible meals, it's much like wine has always been. It's not just a, a beverage to to forced down and, and get drunk on. It's uh, it's meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be savored. And it's becoming um, a highlight in, in why people choose where they go to have their, their meals. That's a great point. We have a lot of really good partners within Alberta who showcase craft beer and often do things like tap takeovers or focus regionally on the brewers that they have uh, around them. So definitely seek those out. Uh, they, they exist all over the province. Um, yeah, great point. So as we mentioned at the top, we are in Black History Month and we have a few very simple things that you can do require a little bit of effort and a little bit of financial backing on your side, but really simple things that you can do to bring the purpose of this month into your space. So you can start by hosting a Black History Month educational event, whether that is with a guest speaker, panels, or even films. Um, There's great opportunities to bring these things into your space, as well as ensuring that you are sharing content from Black members in our industry, whether they are uh, social media, whether they're consultants, um, or just creators in this space. If someone has done a graphic design for you, Uh, anything along those lines, just make sure that you're amplifying voices and contributing to the positive change in our industry. Like any other area, though, do keep in mind that these individuals are providing their skills and their knowledge. And this isn't something that we should be expecting to be handed to us. It is something that they should be paid for the same any other skill or knowledge, knowledge base would be expected find those opportunities and create that space, invite them in. You can also, if you're unsure about what to do, there are DEI consultants uh, all over the place. Um, You can find them from fellow breweries who have used them. You can find them through uh, the CCBA, the National Association. Uh, But there are people out there who work in this space who are willing to provide you with their, their knowledge and expertise and can set you up to be successful in your efforts. Uh, this goes a long way in not being a, a token effort, um, as can often be seen uh, both uh, with um, Black History Month, with uh, Women's Month, with um, Gay Pride. There are so many spaces where we tend to do a one-off effort. And while, yes, it does good, uh, we need to live these values consistently. So a DEI consultant can help you to do that and understand how you can be most beneficial when you are putting these efforts forward. Take a look around. Like I said, these are people who you can find online or they are available through CCBA resources. Um, Maybe next time you're doing a a beer, if you have something new going on, look around for Black artists to help uh, design your label. Or if you're looking for something fun, if it's merch or anything along those lines, but seek people out and make an effort to include them in the industry. The only way that we can do that sometimes is by us actively seeking out the more diverse populations and bringing them in. 
sometimes it can be intimidating to come into an industry that is uh, not known for its diversity. So if we can help that out, then we definitely should take that opportunity to do so. Um, you can also, you know, focus on, as we do in many other instances, a, a, a brew that goes towards supporting an organization this month. Um, again, don't make that a token thing, though. Ensure that you do live those ideals throughout the year. Uh, the charitable aspect always is beneficial, but you don't want it to be seen as just, we did our part in February and we're done. So take some time to think about that and how you might be able to elongate that through the other 11 months of the year. So if you have any questions about that, you can definitely reach out to um, us at ASBA, uh, members of the DEI committee, or you can reach out to CCBA uh, through their DNDI committee or the resources that we have compiled in both of those organizations. All right, well, hopefully we've enticed you to try out a new tap room. Uh, maybe it's a, check out some new ones along your way as well. Thank you to Mike, Ryan, and Lisa. Really appreciate the conversation. Uh, that is episode eight of All the Best Craft Banter. If you would like to, please check out our app, Alberta Beer, All the Best, on Google and on Apple. Uh, it has a password in there. We've recently updated it with a little bit of graphic and AR capabilities uh, to share with you the brewing process. So learn a little bit, keep track of where you've been, maybe take some notes on the beer you liked. Yeah, that's it for this time. We'll catch you next time on All the Best Craft Banter. Thanks.